In Mark's gospel, encounters with women usually signify turning points in Jesus' ministry. Here, a conversation with a Syrophoenician woman marks the beginning of his mission to the Gentiles. Mark chapter 7, beginning with the 24th verse. From there he sent out and went away to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know he was there. Yet he could not escape notice, but a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him, and she came and bowed down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician origin. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, for saying that, you may go, the demon has left your daughter. So she went home, found the child lying on the bed, and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went by way of Sidon towards the Sea of Galilee, in the region of the Decapolis. They brought him to a deaf man who had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. He took him aside in private, away from the crowd, and put his fingers into his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Then, looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And immediately his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Then Jesus ordered them to tell no one, but the more he ordered them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. They were astounded beyond measure, saying, He has done everything well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. This is the gospel of our Lord. You know the truth, but you need to hear it as often as you can. And so grace, mercy, and peace are ours. From God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, through the working of the Holy Spirit, and we say together, Amen. I have in my computer a file marked Sermons. And in that file, I have a sub-file marked Stories. And in this file, I have collected over the years many, many stories from many different sources, but the majority of them have come to me via the internet, and I am sure, as they have cycled through, that you have read some of those same stories. I have used those stories from time to time in my sermons to help illustrate a particular point. But this morning, uh, I want to share a story with you that will not illustrate a particular point, although it will in the sense but will be, in effect, the sermon. And if you are thinking now, well, it's a holiday weekend and this guy is kind of lazy, well, you don't know me very well. Uh, just listen to this story, please, that came with no attribution, and then make your judgment. And it occurred to me, as I was standing at the back waiting to begin the opening hymn, it is a perfect story for this weekend, too, uh, because it involves a worker and uh, a taxi cab driver. It is his story. 
And as you hear the story, I ask you to show, for God to show you how you can show his love in the world around you. The story goes like this. Twenty years ago, I drove a cab for a living. It was a cowboy's life, for a life for someone who wanted no boss. What I didn't realize was, at the time, it was also a ministry. Because I drove the night shift, my cab became a moving confessional. Passengers climbed in, sat behind me in total anonymity, and told me about their lives. I encountered people whose lives amazed me, ennobled me, made me laugh, made me weep. But none, none touched me more than a woman I picked up late one August night. I was responding to a call from a small brick fourplex in a quiet part of town. I assumed I was being sent to pick up some partiers or someone who had just had a fight with a lover or a worker heading to an early shift at some factory in the industrial part of town. When I arrived at 2.30 a.m., the building was dark except for a single light in a ground floor window. Under these circumstances, many drivers would just honk once or twice and then drive off. But I had seen too many impoverished people who depended on taxis as their only means of transportation. Unless a situation smelled of danger, I always went to the door. This passenger might be someone who needs my assistance. I reasoned to myself, so I walked to the door, and I knocked. Just a minute answered a frail, elderly voice. I could hear something being dragged across the floor. After a long pause, the door opened. A small woman in her 80s stood before me. She was wearing a print dress and a pillbox hat with a veil pinned on it, like somebody out of a 1940s movie. By her side was a small nylon suitcase. The apartment looked as if no one had lived in it for years. All the furniture was covered with sheets. There were no clocks on the walls, no knickknacks or utensils on the counters. In the corner was a cardboard box filled with what looked like photos and some small pieces of glassware. Would you carry my bag out to the car, she said. I took the suitcase to the cab, then returned to assist the woman. She took my arm, and we walked slowly toward the curb. She kept thanking me for my kindness. It's nothing, I told her. I just try to treat my passengers the way I would want others to treat my mother. Oh, you're such a good boy, she said. When we got in the cab, she gave me an address and then asked, could you drive through downtown? It's not the shortest way, I answered quickly. Oh, I don't mind, she said. I'm in no hurry. I'm on my way to a hospice. 
I looked in the rearview mirror. Her eyes were glistening. I don't have any family left, she continued. The doctor says I don't have very long. I quietly reached over and shut off the meter. What route do you want me to take you on? I asked. For the next two hours, we drove through the city. She showed me the building where she had once worked as an elevator operator. We drove through the neighborhood where she and her husband had lived when they were newlyweds. She had me pull up in front of a furniture warehouse that had once been a ballroom where she had gone dancing as a young girl. Sometimes she'd ask me to slow in front of a particular building or corner and would sit staring into the darkness saying absolutely nothing. As the first hint of sun was creasing the horizon, she suddenly said, I'm tired. Let's go now. We drove in silence to the address she had given me. It was a low building, like a small convalescent home. It had a driveway that passed under a portico. Two orderlies came out to the cab as soon as we pulled up. They were solicitous and intent, watching her every move. They must have been expecting her. I opened the trunk and took the small suitcase to the door. The woman was already seated in a wheelchair. How much do I owe you, she asked me, reaching for her purse. Nothing, I said. You have to make a living, she answered. There are other passengers, I responded. Without thinking, I bent down and gave her a hug. She held me tightly. You gave an old woman a little moment of joy, she said. Thank you. I squeezed her hand, then walked into the dim morning light. Behind me, a door shut. It was the sound of the closing of a life. I didn't pick up any more passengers that shift. I drove aimlessly lost in thought. And then for the rest of that day, I could hardly talk. What if that woman had gotten an angry driver or one who was impatient to end his shift? What if I had refused to take the run or had honked once and then driven away? On, quick, on a quick review, I don't think I have done anything more important in my whole life we're conditioned to think that our lives revolve around great moments. But great moments often catch us unaware, beautifully wrapped in what others may consider a small one. End of story. You have heard it said before, perhaps, but hear it again. People may not remember exactly what we did or what we said, but they will remember how we made them feel. What kind of love do we show one another? How do we make each other feel? How do we make other people feel? Do we make distinctions between family and friends on the one hand and, and the others 
on the other hand? And if we do, why? Is it a reason that will hold up under the light of eternity? We do have a calling to tend to our family members, but we also have a family, have a calling to see one another as brothers and sisters and form into a community where we can sit at table together. You probably recall why King Arthur, Arthur and his knights sat at a round table. It was so that no one would be seen sitting at the head and no one sitting at the foot. So let it be in each of our lives. The only head, dear people, we have is our Lord Jesus Christ. His is the honor. And since he embodies every other human being, so let us honor every human being. The test of our faith, the test of this community lies in how we treat each other and in how we regard those outside our community as well. You heard those wonderful lessons, especially the epistle from James and the gospel lesson today. The gospel where Jesus heals the Gentile man in the region of the Decapolis, which means the ten cities, and the daughter of the Syrophoenician woman in Tyre, both Gentiles, not of the covenant community of Israel. And it is a reminder to us all again today that those outside the covenant are to be included in our caring, in our loving, in our ministry, in the name of our head, Jesus. Let us pray, God, that our ears may be opened and our hearts healed so that our faith may lead to deeds of love and compassion to all others each and every day. Let, our, let us pray that our faith and our deeds are as one. Let that be. Amen. Amen. The peace of God that passes understanding. Keep your hearts and your minds in him. Amen.